I'm not afraid to speak my mind and I have a lot of strong opinions. And that would be my advice to anyone trying to grow their career is speak your mind and trust your knowledge. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. We are happy to have our next guest, Sue Cho. Sue has been the head of lifecycle marketing at Calm for nearly three years. For over a decade, she's been focused on all things retention, engagement, and conversion. Outside of Calm, Sue is a co-host of Email Geek SF, a worldwide organization that helps solidify her fervor for her field. Seriously, she's got a tattoo on her wrist to prove it. As you'll hear soon, Sue is passionate about pursuing happiness in all parts of your life. And when Calm announced employees could work remotely permanently, she moved to Mammoth Lake to be in her favorite place, nature. And fun fact, Sue and I actually met in person about a week before lockdown and so excited to get to chat with you. And thank you for coming to the show, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. And it's uh, great to see you virtually again. It's awesome. So, you know, how are you feeling? It's been a year. We met, I think, in a very weird time. It was like, you know, COVID was here, but we didn't quite know. There was no lockdown yet. And then we've gone through lots of ups and downs. How are you feeling now? Are you seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? Honestly, I feel like I'm the lucky few that have benefited greatly from this pandemic and quarantine in general. Like you mentioned in the intro, I've been able to accomplish my longtime dream of living out in the mountains. I've been pondering that for at least five years of seriously doing it and leaving the city, but I didn't know how to financially make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so I always reserved it for when I get tired of working and I want to just do consulting and sit back and I could just work remote. So quarantine kind of helped speed that up since Calm has announced that we are fully going remote forever. Also on the business front, Calm has benefited a lot from the pandemic and people being stressed. It feels weird to say that out loud, but our business has really seen a boom since people are staying inside and they don't have the external simulations to keep them occupied. So we've seen our business impacted in a positive way, which I know isn't the same for a lot of industries. So I feel very fortunate. I'm also a very introverted extrovert, which might surprise people who know me, but I don't like to go out at night. I'm tired. (laughs) I work all day and I want to wake up early to go adventure outside. So I don't really miss the bar scene. I don't really miss concerts because that's not stuff that I did anyway. So I feel like now I don't have to give an excuse to say no to things. So I'm doing pretty well. I'm very grateful. That's awesome. So, you know, I think You've had a really awesome career in growth and community. How did you get into it? Tell me a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. And it really happened just by chance. And I really think I am where I am today because I'm not afraid to speak my mind and I have a lot of strong opinions. And that would be my advice to anyone trying to grow their career is speak your mind and trust your knowledge. I came into the email world right after I graduated college and I graduated with a business economics degree. So it's not like I studied anything in the tech industry or computer science related. 
And it was actually the crash of the economy in the 2000s and people were losing jobs left and right. So I was just trying to find a job, anyone that would hire me. And I got hired as a technical coordinator for an email team. And I admittedly said I had no HTML experience. And I said, my only HTML experience is from MySpace. And they said, that's okay. You're totally fine. And honestly, that MySpace experience really helped. Like I, I knew the basis of how to understand code. And I never thought I would build a career out of email. But as I went into my second job, it was really hard for me to escape the four years of experience that I had built as a technical coordinator. And when I started focusing my job search on email-related titles, I started getting more callbacks. I started getting more interviews. And that's when I started uh, working at the Honest Company as the email marketing manager. Because the Honest Company, you know, one of the co-founders is Jessica Alba. They had a lot more press and PR and buzz around the company. Uh, So that was my first exposure to being interviewed for what I do in email and lifecycle. And my solo career, I guess, as an individual kind of took off from there. From that first interview, I then got invited to speak at an email summit which I didn't even know the idea of an email summit existed or an email community existed, but it was a small little conference only for email marketers and vendors. And it was a really intimate setting. And that's when I really, really fell in love. I then realized there's an entire community out there of people who think like me, who care about things like me, like email deliverability and open rates and optimizing image to copy ratio. And I'll never forget one of the nights I was up until two in the morning with a group of other email nerds discussing email frequency and having heated and passionate conversations about it. And I was like, this is nuts. And I love it. I love this life. And it's just grown ever since then. That's really interesting to hear how you got into your career. And you've had a really interesting one. How about something about you that helped you get your reward that people couldn't really learn if they looked at your LinkedIn or if they Googled your name. Tell us a bit about, you know, the hidden side of Sue. (laughs) The funny thing about that is all the things that are helping me amplify my career are things that I was afraid would hold me back in my career. And maybe that has something to do with my background of being Asian American and (laughs) being raised with those standards of keep your head down, just be grateful for what you have and don't make too much noise. That's how I was raised. And if I took that advice and followed through as an adult, I would never be where I am today. I got to where I am today by being loud, by being opinionated, but not being rude and loud, but being smart about it, being confident in what I know and being passionate about what I believe in. When I had my first speaking engagement, I was asked to give a case study. So I wasn't hidden in a panel. I was just on there on stage. I think I was 20-something. I was terrified. I'm a California girl, so I have this slight Valley girl accent. I don't know how to fake it. I'm very emotional. I really thought these things would go against me. What was surprising to me when I stepped on that stage was that all those things actually caught people's attentions. And they actually started paying attention. Like, oh, who is this girl? Like, I don't, we don't really see people like her on stage. Her presence is slightly different than what we're used to. So it was kind of like a wake-up call for people. And I'm also very opinionated in, in and outside of work. And again, as being an Asian American, I was told that that's a bad thing. You just need to stay quiet 
and stay in line. And I never really subscribe to that. I love that. It comes up in ways like if I don't agree with a co-founder, I'm not rude about it. I'm not argumentative, but I am not afraid to challenge their opinion. And I've gotten really good at, that's an interesting idea. Let's test it because data doesn't lie. And I've also accept, uh, learned to be humble. So I accept when I'm not right and I'm always willing to learn. So I think those are things that you can't quite get from a LinkedIn page, but you have one conversation with me and you, you get it. You get how my vibe is. You get how I'm very passionate about what I talk about. And I, I'm inherently interested in the job that I do. So it's interesting you brought up being Asian American. I think it's been a really hard time right now in the United States. There's been a lot of discrimination and it's actually been quite sad. How do you feel this has impacted you? Are you doing anything to help bring change? For me, it's as sad as it is. It's a welcome change that I see in the media. I grew up in Koreatown in Los Angeles in the 90s. That was wow. the era of the LA riots. That was a lot of tension between a lot of races in that area. And yeah. Koreatown now is like a very hip, cool place. It wasn't back in the 90s. It really wasn't. It was a scary place. And I didn't live in the greatest neighborhood. And it was my grandma who raised me, who was in her well into her 70s when I was young. And since my parents were working all the time, my grandma would be the one to walk me to and from school in the middle of the ghetto in Koreatown. And she was attacked so many times. It was a very common occurrence of her walking to come and pick me up and her purse getting snatched by someone or her kind of being tripped while she was trying to get on the bus. I'll never forget one time she had her gold necklace, her cross gold necklace snatched away from her neck and the perpetrators actually got caught and said that they had swallowed the necklace so they couldn't find what? it. <laughs> yes, it was crazy times. And I think one of the things that they're discovering from all the increase in violence is that it may not actually be an increase because Asian Americans historically have the lowest reporting in uh, crimes. So as sad as it is, it's a welcome change. Like, wow, people are finally paying attention to this. Yeah. And now we're actually building allies. You know, the I know the Black community has been suffering a lot and that community has been very supportive with our movement and vice versa. So it's it's cool to see different communities coming together and supporting each other through a time of crisis. And it's also a time for education. I know some people who grew up in non-urban areas have no idea that this is still happening to this day. And yeah. small microaggressions are still happening to us. And there are certain pockets of population that have no idea. So it's pretty cool to see people being educated and their eyes being opened and being supportive. I kind of try to focus more on that yeah. and look at it as a positive light than to be drowned out and discouraged by what's happening. I love hearing that. And thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable. I think I'm still learning about this. I had my own, I faced my own discrimination, Romanians in Europe. That was, but I think... There's parts of it in areas in which I'm still learning. So, and I think so are listeners. So we're really grateful for you sharing the, your experience. I think the the other question I had, just switching gears, also a follow up to your previous answer. You mentioned that when you disagree with someone, you bring up your, you try something and then the data speaks. Tell me more about that. What are the kind of numbers 
you look at every day? How do you set up a good test? Tell me more. Oh man, I've really had to practice and learn the art of this. Again, because I'm very opinionated and strong-willed, but data has been my friend. And I suggest to everyone out there that you all make friends with data because it will be your best friend, especially when it comes to matters of subjective opinions. I feel like a lot of what I do now with my work, especially in the email world, is educating. Educating people on not only best practices, but what the possibilities are and where the real levers are from a surface level. And I get this with a lot of executive level people, actually. They wonder about the surface level things like what images should we use? Should we use lifestyle or studio imagery? That was a hot topic of discussion at one point in my career. Interesting. And that stuff drives me crazy because <laughs> to me, I don't care. I don't care which image you, we use, which one converts the best, which one gets the most click through. The metrics I look at really depend on what we're trying to achieve. Sometimes a lot of people have opinions on subject lines and subject lines are directly correlated with open rates. That's it. So If we're talking about subject lines, okay, let's test it. Let's test it until we get significant results and see what works better. But you look a layer underneath and it's how many people who opened actually clicked on the email. And that tells you if the content of the email was good and if it was related back to the, op uh, to the subject line. But really, at the end of the day, you want to look at business metrics and business impact. So when I used to work at e-commerce, it was always what was the average order value and what was the revenue per send. That's the metric we looked at constantly. And if I'm looking specifically at the content, then I would look at what is the revenue per click? Are the, is each click we're producing actually producing incremental dollars? Because if it's not, if it's just creating views, then that's not really helping the end goal of the business. Now at Calm, uh, the success metric that we look at is session completes. We know that with increased engagement with our app, there's increased retention, increased win back, increased conversions. So even if we get high opens, even if we get high clicks, it really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, did they actually complete a session, which we know directly correlates with a conversion metric. So that's what I always go back to. Even if it produced clicks, did those clicks actually turn into sessions? Did those clicks actually turn into purchases? And that's what we should all be aligned on. Got it. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense when you think about measurement. How do you think about like measuring, you know, conversions on mobile versus the web? And what do you think the importance of mobile is in general? I'm sure for Calm is high, but I want to I hear yours. How do you think about, especially coming from email, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, mobile has been increasingly more important for email since so many people just check their emails on mobile. When I started my email career, that wasn't a thing <laughs> to tell you how long I've been doing this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, all the links took you to the web and now it's like opening the app. Yes, yes, exactly. How do you measure across like web and app and think about all of that? For e-commerce, it was a lot more different than it is at Com, since Com is a mobile first app-based company. Yeah. But I think everyone in mobile knows about the Apple tax and the Google tax, right? Yeah. They take a good chunk of our revenue and it's painful. So one of the benefits of being an email is that I'm not in the app. The Apple yeah. gods don't control what we put into our emails. However, they do control the different the app Apple versions. Gods. We have to get approved from them, right? <laughs> so I always 
push our product team to use me as a playground, use me as an experiment field because Apple can't control our emails. They don't have oversight or they don't oversee that for us. So one of the things that I really focus on in my programs is driving web conversions, actually, because we avoid that tax altogether. Yeah. And it's a much smaller fee. We actually have control over the data. I think that's the hardest part about mobile and web is for me, I look at an individual member and a user and it, to me, it doesn't matter what device they use, right? The more devices, the better, but being at an app first company, there's this notion of, oh, did they come from iOS? Did they come from Mm -hmm. Android? Did they come from web? What was their payment source? And all the data is coming in from all these different places. And it's really hard to get a single universal view of the member, actually, and also give them continuous, seamless, and consistent experience across all of these platforms. So yeah, that's interesting. And it's also interesting to try and push a conversion on web when I'm promoting content within the app. So That makes an interesting experience of, okay, how do I drive conversion on the web while pushing them to experience the app at the same time? We're still figuring that out and we're still trying to optimize that flow. But these are new challenges for me, especially coming from a primarily web-based e-commerce world. That makes sense. I think that's one of the problems I think exists out there. That's one of the things we try to solve. And I think it's one of the things that I've seen. And you're right, in e-commerce, it's even bigger because it's like, where did the person buy? Where did the person convert? So yes. it's not going to get better with iOS 14.5. So I think it's going to be an interesting to see how the industry evolves. And I'm looking forward to a day where this, this has been released experimentally, I think, with AMP for email that Google has released. But having checkout flows within an email, how cool would that be? That would be extremely cool. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll just complicate the attribution funnel even further, but it'll. I think that'll be a huge impact to have scrollable products within an email, to have a purchase button within an email. That would be so powerful. Imagine if you can start a meditation session in an email, right? Like push a button and it, and like it pops a, up a GIF or something to remind you to breathe or something. That would be really cool. I feel like that will be able to happen at some point, but I still feel like email is such an interesting one because you have like building an email, I'm sure you know, <laughs> but it's, there's still like, it's not as easy as building a web page and there's still like tables and yes. you need to make sure that every, it's a complicated area. Yes. Yes. And I think it's funny when companies think they can throw a front-end developer or a web designer into an email role, and they absolutely hate it. Because they're like, what is this ancient technology that you guys are using? Like, what is happening? I've been there. (laughs) Yeah. With my team, okay, so to give you an idea of my team and how I constructed my team, I have three people. I have myself and two others. I have a designer and an email developer. I don't, that's probably not a wide known position, but that I needed it. I need someone who can design and who knows email code. Cause there have been so many times where you have a separate person designing, a separate person coding, usually a front end developer, and the designer will design something. And the coder is like, what is this? Like, I just have to make this a giant image. I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, no. You can't do that. I found a magical unicorn who does both and who's interested in both. So I'm holding on to him for dear life. And the third person I have on my team is actually 
an engineer with 20 years of experience who wanted to do marketing. So now I have a marketing-minded engineer on my team who's helping me pull data that I normally wouldn't be able to get. So he's my dedicated eng resource. So that's the construct of my team. And I don't think that's what they had in mind when they hired me. You know, they probably thought I needed a copywriter, a designer, another marketing person, which I do need. But what I needed more was a designer coder and an engineer. That's amazing. Wow, that's like really interesting. I haven't really heard of that. And I, I love the creativity and how you thought about it and being so numbers driven and technical. It's like incredibly cool. I thought of like all the hurdles, the big hurdles that I faced in my career. And I'm usually at the mercy of engineers. I'm usually begging for resources. I'm begging for help. Can I borrow an engineer for a quarter? So I'm like, you know what? Forget this. I'm going to hire my own. And I didn't know that someone like that would exist, but being a part of a community like Email Geeks, you find people like that and it's really cool. Tell us some examples of things that worked really well in re-engagement, things that work well when you send emails. Tell us some good examples that we can all learn from when we send our next email to our customers or prospects. I feel like a lot of times when people are thinking about email campaigns, they try to be catchy. They try to be cheeky. Mm -hmm. They try to make it fun. Yeah. None of that really works. You know what, what works really well is, I hate to say, but alarming people, making things sound as transactional as possible. Wow. So I'll give an example of one thing that I did was uh, re-engaging our dormant paying members. And we tried out the subject line that said, we wanted to basically announce what was new and try to bring them back into the app. And I've tested subject lines with new from Moby, you know, like all these catchy people and things like that. But what works the best is new in your membership. Like that, that's so boring. But when you yeah. see that, you have to like picture yourself looking at your inbox. And if you saw something with your membership in there, that would kind of set the alarms. Yeah, you're going to click on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I always try to step back. Like that's an exercise I do a lot. I was like, let's pretend I'm looking at my inbox. What do my eyes go toward? What do I want to click on? And it's usually not like the catchy, like cool, rhymey stuff or the emojis and stuff. It's the more alarming stuff. So that's the advice I give some of our inner departments, actually. We've been ramping up a lot of our B2B side of the business that I can't really control all the emails. So there's different teams doing their own emails. And that's kind of the tips that I give them is make it sound alarming. Make it sound like they're... I also amplify the FOMO effect of don't miss out, of almost ending. That kind of stuff worked really well in e-commerce. Cool. How about, do you do a lot of re-engagement? And do you think there's like a big, is there a difference between activating people and re-engaging them when they were already like power users, but maybe they like lapsed? A thousand percent. And right now we're in the process of optimizing these programs. We've come a long way at Calm from being like a batch and blast company, which is like, hey, we announced this once and we let it go to an automation company of let's communicate with the right people at the right time with drip campaigns and certain triggers. And what I want to get to is actually using data science integrated into our program to tell us when someone should receive what message, because that can look different for so many different users. When it comes to activating users, the data that I want to pull from are from their onboarding. You know, we have questionnaires of what you want to accomplish. What do you want your meditation or sleep routine to look like? I think we should reference those kind of points and marry that with the behaviors that we see from our most engaged users. 
right? Mm. So we optimize with that. We follow the pattern of what we want these users to look like, which are our most engaged users. And for comms specifically, that looks like someone who meditates in the morning with a daily calm or a daily trip, and then uses music throughout the day, and then goes to sleep using a sleep meditation or sleep music or sleep stories. And we know that our most engaged user usually drops off in usage around Thursday, Friday, when we head on to the weekend, and then usage starts to spike on Sunday. So <laughs> I love it. That makes that's kind of how I do it. Right. I don't think yeah. I've ever used Calm on a Saturday. Yeah, right. Because you're relaxed, you're chilling, yep. you're out with your friends. Yep. And then Sunday hits, and you know, we call it the Sunday scaries. The Sunday scaries hit, and you're like, oh crap, I need to fall asleep. And you start thinking about all these things. I have used the sleep stories on Sunday nights. It's probably <laughs> the only night I ever used it. That's when usage starts to spike. Yeah, it's so funny. Yep, you're right there, Mada. And then I think it peaks out at like Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, we start to see it go down. So for new users, when we're trying to activate them and we don't have much context, then we optimize for a Sunday evening, right? But when we're re-engaging someone, you know, they, they could have their own usage pattern. Maybe they've never done sleep stories, but they only listen to music. And I think the way we communicate to those people isn't going to be the same way we activate those users. We're not quite there yet. We're on the road to like building these types of programs. But what I imagine for re-engaging users is, you know, we have seven-day programs, we have 30-day programs and re-engaging them by saying, hey, continue to day eight. And what I found with an app like Calm is we can actually get super personal. It's not nudging them like, buy this again. Mm-hmm. We miss you. Like how we talk, yeah. how we talk to people in e-com. It's more, remember day seven, you learned about gratitude. And you need to continue on to day eight where you're going to learn about self-forgiveness. So instead of nudging with discounts and, you know, we nudge with life lessons with what you did before and the benefits you'll feel. So I believe it has to be a lot more behaviorally driven when you're working on re-engaging users versus activating users. But also it's a lot harder to build those kind of programs because imagine all the data science and the eng work needed to build something that sounds pretty simple. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't sound simple, I guess, maybe because I've tried to build <laughs> stuff like this in the past. Yes, I think yes, if I wasn't it. a marketer, maybe. You know, your voice just now when you were saying those things sounded amazing. Have you done any of the, have you recorded any of the meditations yourself? Oh, that's funny. I've only recorded a 90, or was it like a two minute clip for our B2B marketing team where they have to do short little pitches So I did this voiceover. I was literally holding my iPhone in my closet saying, welcome to Calm and walking them through the different features. You sound like you're doing this professionally, (laughs) especially when you go into talking about Calm, like when you're putting the Calm voice. Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. I used to be a singer songwriter in the EDM world. So that's probably where that comes from. Okay, so when I asked about the personal stuff, (laughs) they got you to where you are. Okay, what have you learned from being a singer-songwriter in the DM world that's amazing that helps you do your job better today? Well, one tagline I want to mention is someone had mentioned, oh, so you went from EDM to CRM. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) Nerd jokes. What have I learned? The audience is only having fun if you're having fun right? It's all about having fun. I try to keep my presentations fun and less like, here's all the data, here's all these charts. People don't care. 
Same thing with singing. When you're performing on stage. What a good lesson. Crap. You can sound like crap, but as long as you're having fun and you look like you're having fun, the crowd's going to have fun with you and they're going to be interested in watching you. I just want to put on a good show, <laughs> whether I'm singing or whether I'm talking about emails and I want people to have fun. And I found that that works really well. I try to keep it light, but educational. I feel we're having fun on this podcast. Awesome. I'm having fun. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about career. We've talked about email. How about, I think one of the things I tried to get in this podcast is also personal growth and growing in your career, you're around managing people. What advice do you have for your younger self and for people like at the beginning of their career? Huh. Why is this so hard for me? I would say quit doubting yourself. Quit doubting yourself is number one, because that's been my biggest hindrance of, oh, I remember when I first got my email marketing manager job, that was my first manager position, even though I wasn't managing anyone. I guess I was managing a program by myself. And I remember doubting it because I was just, and I put that in quotes, just a coordinator before. And I wasn't sure that I was qualified enough to get that job, that I didn't even want to go apply for it. And I remember talking to the email manager counterpart that I was the coordinator for, and I thought she was about to slap me. She was like, are you kidding me? You're over-experienced for a position like this. and. That continued through a lot of my career, and I'm sure that doubt still exists in me. And, you know, one of my passions is to coach younger, especially females, right? And I see that a lot in the younger female communities that they doubt themselves. They don't think people will take them seriously or they have enough experience to speak on stage. And I kind of want to shake them and be like, you do, you have so much you can offer. So don't doubt yourself. Kind of trust your gut and trust your own intuition. I wish I, that would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of headache and a lot of unnecessary stress if I just trusted myself a little more. I love that. What great advice. I think that's probably the one I would give myself to. So I, yeah, it's a really good one. So before we go to our like fun questions, I have one more. I'd love, tell us more about the Email Geeks SF and how you got involved in that. Show us your tattoo if you're open to it. <laughs> I'll start with the tattoo. It's it's on my wrist. Okay. It's an envelope. It's an envelope. With stuff on the side for those who can't see this on video. Yeah. It's not That's like amazing. blatantly email. It's an envelope tattoo. It's kind of like a traditional style. It's very pretty. Thank you. I actually, I'm a part of an organization called Woman of Email as well. And I posted a picture of that tattoo and that on the Facebook page of that organization. And that followed up with like 20 other pictures of everyone else's email tattoos. So this community is, we're really into our jobs. There's something about this that we're really into. But you know, email is awesome. It, email is awesome. Yeah, it's one of the few jobs where you get to be creative. You can be technical. You have to be analytical. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. And talk about the Email Geek SF and how you got involved in that. Email Geeks, yes. So I kept hearing about Email Geeks as I started going to more email-specific conferences. And someone said, oh, it's just a Slack group. You know, go to emailgeeks.slack.com. I think that's the link. And you just need to apply, which really isn't an application, and they'll approve you. And you go in, and it's literally worldwide. So the chats are buzzing all throughout the day because everyone's in different time zones. So I'll wake up in the morning and all the UK people are, have been chatting up a storm and filling up the chat rooms. And 
there's something for everyone. There's obviously a general channel, but there are actually email provider specific channels. So there's a Salesforce channel, an iterable channel, a Braze channel. Um, so people who use specific platforms can go in and talk about problems or gripes or solutions. Wow. There's also a marketing channel, a developer channel, a strategy channel. There's a channel for everyone. And I also noticed that there were city specific channels. And I kind of poked around in them and um, noticed that people were creating their own meetups and meeting up with other email geeks in their cities. And when I moved to San Francisco from LA um, about five years ago, before I moved to Mammoth, I looked around and said, who owns Email Geek San Francisco? Who runs the meetups here? And it was no one. And again, not doubting myself, I said, why can't that be me? (laughs) Why can't that? What does it take? And that's really all it was. And that's how I started a lot of things. Like, what does it take to do this? No one's doing this. Can I do this? I can do this. And to my surprise, there were plenty of vendors that wanted to sponsor the event and help and be the venue. And when I joined Calm, they loved that I was a part of this email geeks world and really wanted to host something and wanted to be a part of the community. So it's been really cool. So I work with different vendors. They help with the venue. They help feed us. I always want to do food. And again, I like keeping things fun. So we started making this theme of email plus food. Our first event was email and tacos. So we talk about emails and eat tacos. We did email and s'mores, email and pizza, and the list goes on. Wow. We've even done email and dumplings. Why not? Yum. (laughs) And we usually have two speakers. We've had speakers from, for example, the email development team at Uber. Yes, they have an entire team to develop emails at Uber. They kind of spoke about the complex systems that they use to power all of the emails and localizing all of them. We've had people from Zillow speak on the marketing side. We had someone speak about AMP for email that I kind of touched upon. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, so it's like an so it's an event run by us and for us. And really, like I wanted to capture the feeling that I got when I realized that there was a whole community of people like me, just as nerdy about email. And how much I fell in love more with my job and how much more I started enjoying what I do when you feel less alone. I want to create those kind of environments where someone can find their passion for what they do in their job. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Well, it's been great having you. But before we end, we have this like three little bit random questions to get the audience to know you better on, I would say, more of a personal level. Okay, so if you had to delete all the apps and you could only keep one app on your phone, what app would you keep? Oh, God. I know this is shameless self-promotion, but I would keep calm because it, I needed to fall asleep. I really do. Oh, <laughs> you're the first person who said the company they work at. <laughs> you know, maybe it's because I was an actual member before I started working there. So I was really fired up. <laughs> I love it. It seems like you put so much love and passion in everything that you do. Oh. <laughs> okay. If you had an app to talk to one animal and one animal alone, what animal would you pick? Oh, come on. It has to be a dog. It has to be a dog. It has to be my dog. My dog. Dog owners pick their dogs, but yeah. people picked a lot of things from birds to tigers. And... So tell me about your dog. What kind of dog do you have? Her name is Lizzie. She's about nine years old. She's a little 10 pound Chihuahua Terrier who's badass, actually. Uh, I'm a big nature person. I go to the mountains a lot and she goes on, you know, 20 mile backpacking trips with me. 
10 hour hikes with me. I've taught her how to cross rivers. So she's really good at like hopping stones and crossing rivers. So she's small, but mighty and she's my best friend. And I talk to her a lot. So it'd be cool to have an app to like translate our languages to each other. (laughs) I'm with you. If you ever come to SF (laughs) to introduce our 10 pound mighty dogs that go on hikes together. Yes. Yes. Okay. Last question. What's an unlikely app on your phone? Oh, is it funny if I say Headspace? No. (laughs) No, that's not surprising because I I need to keep tabs on the competitors. Unlikely app on my phone, Chick-fil-A. Because you love (laughs) Chick-fil-A? They were giving a discount, you know, if you downloaded the app. So I downloaded the app and I, you know, I think it's confusing when fast food companies have an app. It's like, when am I ever going to stare at this thing again? but I, I do it for the deals and, and discounts. But now you have it and you see their brand and you might be more likely. What a good promotion, a yeah. discount to use the app. I think it was like a free, free milkshake or something. You can always get me with mm. food. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> we know what to send Sue next. Yeah. Some extra food. food. <laughs> well, Sue, is so cool to get to know you better. And thank you for sharing so many interesting and cool tips on email. And for those who are in email, if you are not part of the community, I think this is the time to join it. And thank you again for being here. Thanks, Mara. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.